Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Over the last several weeks, we've talked a lot about the hearsay witnesses that helped to convict Jamie. We haven't dug too deeply into the specifics yet, but it's pretty clear from what we covered so far that there was a whole lot of he-said-she-said rumors that landed Jamie in prison. But in all honesty, I don't believe that the jury would have given all of the confession testimony nearly as much weight as they did had it not been for the testimony of Mr. Danny Martinez, touted by the state as their star witness. Rumors aside, there was just no way the jury could ignore a man who testified that he came face to face with Bill Little's murderer, and he is positive that it was Jamie Snow. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Most of you remember who Danny Martinez is, but just in case, let me give you a quick refresher. Danny was at the Clark Station on the night Bill was killed. He was putting air in his tires when he, well, I'll read you exactly what he said in his interview that night. Quote, As I'm filling the tire up, I heard a couple pops and thought that my car was backfiring. I finished filling the tire and started walking towards the front door and saw this guy come out of the gas station, and he had his hands in his pockets, and I looked at him, and he looked at me as if he was surprised. I heard my car sounding as if it was going to die, and turned around towards my car, and when I turned back around, he was turning the corner on the east side of the station, heading north. End quote. There's always been a bit of conflict between what Danny says happened and what Officer Jeff Pilo described. Pilo was across the street at the time of this occurrence and recalls seeing Martinez filling up his tire, taking a couple steps towards the station, turning back towards his car, and again back to the station, and then back into his car. Pilo didn't see anyone walking out of the station during any of this. Now, I think we've concluded that it was possible for his focus to be on Martinez and for him not to have seen the man leaving the station. So let's just, for this episode, assume that a man did leave the station and Martinez did see him. 
With that assumption in mind, let's first take a look at the information we have from that night, back in 91. The Luna boys across the street also witnessed the man leaving the station. They told police that the man walked out the door, walked along the front of the station, and around the east side of the building towards the alley. Pilo never saw the man, but he says that Martinez was doing that back-and-forth shuffle within a few feet of his car. Martinez says that he, quote, started to walk towards the front door and turned around. Neither Pilo or the Luna boys saw Martinez anywhere near the man walking out of the station. And Martinez never says that he was near the man either. And given the location of the air pump, about 50 feet or so away from the southeast corner of the building, and closer to 70 feet away from the door, all of the evidence seems to indicate that Martinez never came within 50 feet of the man leaving the station that night. It's important that we understand the specifics of what actually happened before I begin to break down what Martinez said happened at Jamie's trial. I told you before that Martinez's story evolved over this nine-year period. Today, we're going to find out exactly what transpired between the day Danny witnessed the man leaving the station on March 31st, 1991, and the day that he told the state's attorney that Jamie was their guy on July 18th, 2000. Since we started at the beginning, let's jump right to the end. Danny Martinez's testimony at Jamie's murder trial. This is the first time that I've covered any trial transcripts this season, so for those of you who are new to the show, this is how I break down a transcript. I'm not going to read the entire thing to you. It would take too long, and it can get really boring. What I am going to do is break down the important parts and read directly from the transcript when it's necessary. But the entire document is posted on our website for you to read it word for word if you'd like. With that being understood... This is the trial testimony of the state's so-called star witness against Jamie. Martinez was called as a state's witness, and direct examination was completed by Tina Griffin. She starts out by laying a foundation for the jury. She has Martinez explain who he is, where he was living at the time of the murder, etc. Then she gets into the specifics. Danny testifies that he, his wife, and his daughter arrived home that night between 7.30 and 8 p.m. after spending Easter with family in Peoria. He explains that when they arrived home, he unloaded some things into the house from the car. Their usual Sunday night ritual was to grab a few sodas from the gas station and to sit together and watch TV. Martinez says that he was driving a work car, a 74 Nova, and it had a bad tire. So he decided that night that he would pull his car around to the other side of the fence the only thing separating his property from the Clark Station property, and put air in the tire before he went in to buy the sodas. Now I'll read this next part directly from the transcript. Martinez. Well, at that time, when I was putting air in the tire, I heard two bangs, and I thought maybe it was my car backfiring at that time. And at that time, I, I got up after putting air in the tire, and I started walking towards the gas station. Griffin. And as you walk towards the gas station, do you notice anything, observe anything? Martinez. Well, when I was putting air in the tire, I saw a gentleman coming out the door backwards. And I didn't notice anything, you know. It just, I started walking towards the gas station, and I heard my car was about to die, so I turned around. And when I turned back around, I ran, didn't run into, but I just was maybe a foot or three foot apart from the gentleman that was there. Notice the difference here from not only his original statement, but also the other witness accounts. In 91, he was never further than a couple of feet away from his car, and the suspect simply walked out the door along the front of the station and around the corner. 
Based on what Martinez is saying here at trial, the perpetrator would have walked out the door, walked at least 30 to 40 feet away from the station in the alley towards a potential eyewitness, got up to one to three feet away from him, looked him in the eyes, and then turned around and walked towards the alley, all without the Luna boys or Officer Pilo seeing him. Griffin then asked Danny what he noticed about this individual that he came face to face with. Martinez replies that he noticed his eyes. Quote, His eyes was wide open, like if he was out the whole night, and I'll never forget those eyes. End quote. So it was the perp's eyes that Martinez really remembers. Now, let's go back to his statement from 91 to see what he had to say about the person's eyes back then. Since here at trial, that's the only thing that really stood out to him. This is from the transcript of Martinez's police interview on the night of the murder. Detective Crow, can you describe the person you saw leaving? Martinez, he was a white male about in his 20s and he was about my height, which is 5'8", and was thin. He had blue jeans on and they were not new because they were faded. He was wearing tennis shoes and a brown jacket and a baseball-type hat. Martinez then goes on to describe the unsub shoes in detail. But what he doesn't do is mention one single word about the man's eyes. Not a word. And for what it's worth, the description that he does give isn't even close to Jamie Snow, which I would assume is the reason why at trial he's focusing on the eyes. There are no old reports to impeach him regarding the eyes, because he's never mentioned it before. To put all this into perspective, Danny described the man that he was supposedly standing face-to-face with as being his height, 5'8". Jamie is over six foot tall. He said the man was thin, and Jamie was much closer to stocky than thin. Then later in that interview, on the night of the murder, Martinez says the man, quote, had a small nose and a thin face, end quote. Jamie, on the other hand, had kind of chubby cheeks and, well, kind of a big nose. Sorry, Jamie. But, like I said, all that drops from the narrative at trial. Now it's his eyes. Those eyes that Danny will never forget. Martinez continues on in his trial testimony to say that he and the man locked eyes. The guy looked surprised, and then the man walked away. He then says that after the man walked towards the alley, Danny began walking towards the station when, quote, I heard someone say, hey, hold up or stop, end quote. So in this version of events, Officer Pilo stopped Martinez from entering the gas station. But according to Pilo, he didn't make any contact with Martinez. He said in his recorded interview that there was a male in the parking lot putting air in his tires. Pilo was across the street watching. This is from his recorded interview in 1999. In front of the station, there was no, I couldn't see any movement or anything inside. And the license plate number of uh, blue vehicles in the lot. One of the dispatchers is giving me a hard time about running a plate because Leeds was down. The male walks from his car towards the station. He stops, looks back towards his car, turns, walks towards the station some more, stops, turns around, goes back to his vehicle. Got in it. I can't remember if he's backing out of the lot or if he was a U turn and drove out of the lot. He drove westbound on the Empire Street. After did that, I started walking across the Empire Street on the east side of the lot. So Pilo says that Martinez got in his car and drove away. But Danny testified that he was heading into the store when Pilo told him to stop. 
But the inconsistencies don't stop there. If you have any question about Danny Martinez's credibility, this next bit ought to seal the deal for you. He goes on to testify that Pilo walked across the street and asked him if he had seen anything. Martinez then tells him that he had just seen a man walk out the door and around the corner towards the alley. Now, say what you will about Jeff Pilo, but I highly doubt that if he was told that a man was leaving the scene of a murder, that he wouldn't either himself or at least radio someone to pursue the suspect. Remember, we have the dispatch tape from that night. I just listened, and 33 seconds is all the time that passed from the time that Pilo called in Martinez's license plate from across the street until he notified dispatch to send rescue to the scene because he could see Bill's body on the floor. 33 seconds. According to Martinez, in that 33 seconds, Pilo crossed the street, asked him if he had seen anyone. He told Pilo about the man and the direction the man had fled to. Pilo then walks up to the station and sees Bill's body and notifies dispatch of the situation. There is nothing in Pilo or Officer Williams' report about a witness seeing a man fleeing the scene at all. There's nothing on the dispatch tape where either officer radioed for someone to pursue the suspect down the alley. There's nothing. So if Martinez's story were true, that would mean that Pilo found out there had been a man murdered seconds after being told the direction that a suspect had fled, and he did absolutely nothing about it. There's just no way that that happened. Danny Martinez is a liar, plain and simple. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's pick Martinez's testimony back up where he begins describing the man that he saw that night. He says that the man was about 5'7 or 5'8, but makes clear that it was the eyes that he really remembers. He says the man was wearing a light spring jacket and that his shoulder-length hair was brown. By the way, it was blonde in his original statement. And then Griffin moves on to confirm that Martinez did actually give the description that resulted in the composite sketch from 1991. You know, the one that looks nothing like Jamie. And then she moves on to try to do a little damage control regarding the times that Danny had a chance to identify the suspect over the previous nine years. She asks about the photo lineup shown to him on the day after the murder. He says that he didn't identify anyone, which isn't entirely true. You'll remember that he actually identified two people from the photo array. He said, quote, it's between these two. And Jerry Gutierrez also identified one of the same men from that same array. And then she asks about an in-person lineup from June of 1991, less than three months after the murder. Let me read to you what was said in front of the jury, and then I'll tell you what actually happened. 
Griffin. Do you recall what was done in terms of what was presented to you? Martinez. The officer took me into a room that was kind of dim, dark, and a group of gentlemen came in in the lineup, and he asked me if I recognized any of the gentlemen. I couldn't tell because of the darkness in the room and the distance from where I was from. Griffin. So in that in-person lineup, did you identify anybody positively as the person you'd seen at the Clark Station on March 31st, 1991? Martinez. No, not at that time. So nothing to see here. He went to a lineup. It was too dark in the room where literally every Bloomington police lineup is conducted, and he wasn't able to positively identify anyone. But this is the real story. Martinez didn't say anything to the officers about it being dark, first of all. In fact, he didn't mention a word about having any difficulties identifying anyone. What he did do was ask person number three and person number four to step forward for a closer look. Number four was a guy named Charles Renfro who Danny picked out again in another photo array a few months later, but said that the hair and the mustache weren't quite right. But that's not the worst part. In that in-person lineup, suspect number six was Jamie Snow. That's right. Jamie was standing right there, right in front of Martinez. We actually have a picture of the people in that in-person lineup. It's posted on our website. Jamie is standing right there on the left side of the picture, arms crossed and looking positively annoyed to be there. And guess what? It's not dark. It's not even dim in that room. Martinez didn't pick Jamie out of that lineup because Jamie looks absolutely nothing like the man that he described. Interestingly enough, though, nine years later, it was that same in-person lineup that Martinez used to positively identify Jamie. In July of 2000, Martinez went into the state's attorney's office and viewed a photo of that in-person lineup, the photo that we have posted on our website. So let me read you the transcript from where Danny explains the process. Griffin. Now, a few months ago, I believe back in July, did you have a chance to see a photograph of the people that were in that in-person lineup? Martinez. That's correct. Okay. And was that the first time you'd ever seen a photograph of that in-person lineup? That's correct. Where was it that you were at when you saw that? It was here at your office. Okay. And when you saw the photograph, whose idea was it to look at a photograph? Did anybody ask you to look at a photograph? No, it was, I had asked you if you had a picture of the lineup at that time, and you said you did. And I asked you if I could see it, and you went and had gotten a picture for me. Okay, now would it be fair to say that we were doing trial preparation when we were meeting in my office? That's correct. When you saw the photograph that I handed to you, did you recognize anyone in that photograph? Yes, when I looked at the photograph, I recognized the person, the number six in that picture, and I said, this is him, isn't it? This is him. I know this is him. And I had mentioned to you, I said, this is him. Now, if you haven't looked at the photo, you should know that this is an old black and white photo. The photographer was zoomed out enough to include all six men in the shot. At trial, when asked what it was that he noticed in the photo, that he didn't notice in person, Martinez again says that, quote, it was his eyes. Like I had mentioned before, his eyes that I'll never forget. And it just caught my attention, end quote. As the testimony continues, we find out that prior to identifying Jamie in the photo of the in-person lineup that he had participated in nine years prior, Martinez saw Jamie's picture in the newspaper from the transcript. 
Had you seen a photograph of that individual before? Martinez. Yes, I had. I saw a photograph of the picture in the panograph that was posted when they had arrested the gentleman for the incident. Griffin. I'm showing you what's marked as State's Exhibit Number 36. Ask if you recognize that. Martinez. That's correct. That's what I saw in the pantograph. Okay, and does that photograph fairly and accurately depict the photograph that you recall seeing in the pantograph? That's correct. Shortly after the person was arrested? Yes, that's correct. So let me make clear what actually happened here. Ten months before Martinez identified Jamie in the SA's office, he saw a picture in the newspaper of Jamie after he was arrested. Put that into context here while I reread his explanation of IDing Jamie. Quote, When I looked at the photograph, I recognized the person, the number six person in that picture, and I said, this is him, isn't it? End quote. Danny Martinez had seen a photo of the man who was arrested, Jamie Snow. Then, ten months later, he went into the SA's office and positively identifies Jamie by saying, this is him, isn't it? And let me just say, a lot of things went on during those ten months, but I'll get into that in a minute. Let's just say for now that I don't think Martinez had an amazing revelation that summer day in the SA's office. Next came what I believe to be the most damning moment in Jamie's trial. Tina Griffin asked Martinez if he could point out the person who he saw at the Clark station on the night Bill Little was killed. And in front of the jury, he pointed directly to Jamie Snow. Quote, the gentleman right over there with the black suit, gray tie, and white shirt on. And then Griffin asks him, quote, Now as you looked at the photograph back in July of 2000, and as you see the defendant here in this courtroom today, do you have any idea in terms of how sure you are that this is the person that you saw? Martinez, Yes, I was 85% sure, but now I'm 100% sure. What's really interesting about that is the fact that Martinez also testified in Jamie's co-defendant's trial before Jamie's. But in Susan's trial, Danny told the jury that he was 85% certain that it was Jamie who he saw that night. And Susan was acquitted. But somehow, once he stepped into the witness stand at Jamie's trial, he was 100% certain. And Jamie was convicted and sent away to prison for the rest of his life. Griffin continues on to try to get out in front of any discrepancies before cross-examination begins. She asks Martinez when was the first time that he was sure that Jamie was the guy that he saw at the gas station that night. Martinez mistakenly responds that it was in her office a few weeks prior. She then has to remind him that he actually realized that they got the right guy 10 months prior when he saw Jamie's arrest photo in the newspaper. He didn't come forward at that point, he says that he told his wife that that was the guy, but again, that seems unlikely once we realize how many opportunities he had to share that information prior to making the positive ID in Griffin's office. In any case, direct examination concluded with that question, and Jamie's attorney, Frank Pitzel, begins cross. The first blow that Pitzel attempts to make is whether or not the man Martinez saw that night was actually the shooter. Personally, I think this was a mistake. As a juror, I would have to believe that when the defense strategy is to attack the idea that the sounds he heard may not have been gunshots, and that the man he saw may not have been the shooter, you're almost certain to assume that everyone agrees that Jamie was in fact the man who was seen that night. 
And in my opinion, that's the first thing Pitzel should have attacked, the actual identification. But cross-examination goes on for several pages as Jamie's attorney is trying to work out the sequence of events. What were you doing when you heard the bangs? When did you turn around? When did the man turn around after backing out the door? It just goes on and on. Meanwhile, the jury is still sitting on the fact that this man just said that he was 100% certain that Jamie is the person he saw exiting the station that night. And so far, Pitzel has done nothing to contradict that. Instead, he gets really hung up on why the man was walking backwards. But the problem is, Martinez never said that the man was walking backwards. He said that he backed out of the door. This back and forth then goes on for pages. It's really nothing but wasted time, and in my opinion, it's not doing anything to attack Danny's credibility. In fact, it's doing the opposite. Martinez is having to constantly correct Pitzel, making it appear that the defense attorney wasn't even listening during direct, which I'm wondering if he really was. And then finally, 10 pages into Cross, Pitzel finally makes a valid point, or at least he tries to. He asks Martinez again how tall he is, 5'7". Then he asks if he, quote, would assume that this guy was about 5'7 also. And Martinez says, 5'7", 5'8". And here, Pitzel finally throws a punch. Quote, What do you make of this fact? My client is 6 foot 1 inches tall. What do you make of that fact? End quote. Unfortunately, Griffin objects before Martinez even has a chance to respond. Quote, Objection, Your Honor. Counsel is not here to testify as a witness in this case. He's stating a fact that is not in evidence. End quote. The objection was sustained, and unfortunately, Martinez never got a chance to answer that question. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After the high topic was shot down by Griffin, Pitzel moved on to talk about the in-person lineup from 1991. He asked Martinez if he had identified anyone during that lineup. Martinez says no, and after some back and forth, he admits that he did ask two of the men to step forward, but he says that he told the officers that they kind of looked like the man he saw, but it wasn't them. But what Pitzel failed to do is really drive home the point that Jamie was in that lineup. He mentions it, but almost in passing. And then he moves on to what Martinez found unique about the man's eyes. Again, Nowhere in any of the reports or transcripts does Danny ever say a word about the suspect's eyes before IDing Jamie nine years later. But what I find surprising is the fact that no one seems to ever pounce on the fact that what Martinez says was so unique about the individual's eyes was that they looked like he'd been out drinking all night. He doesn't even say that he knows what color the eyes were. And the photo that he saw that supposedly made him realize that Jamie was the guy was not a photo with his eyes looking like he had been out drinking all night. It was his arrest photo. Listen to this segment of the transcript. Pitzel. Other than the fact that his eyes were wide open when you saw him, was there anything else unusual about his eyes? Martinez. No, not really. Well, tell me what color the pupils of his eyes were, please. Martinez. It's just, 
like I said, the eyes were all, I mean, like you were surprised. Pitzel. You don't know what color his eyes were, do you? Martinez. No, I don't. Pitzel later asked Martinez why he didn't contact police when he saw the picture of Jamie in the paper and realized that that was the man he saw. Martinez says that he didn't contact police over those 10 months because he knew he was going to be a witness at the trial, and he figured that it would come out in his testimony. Pitzel then moves on to really do kind of a decent job of pointing out some of the inconsistencies in Martinez's testimonies and statements. He asked questions like, If you only saw him for a couple seconds, and you really noticed his eyes, then how did you also describe his shoes, and his facial hair, and his jacket, and where his hands were, etc.? Pitzel does seem to fluster Martinez here a bit, but unfortunately, I really don't think he does much damage. Then, as he moves towards closing out Cross, he starts by asking about the men that Martinez did identify in both of the photo arrays and the in-person lineup. But Danny isn't really playing ball. We see a lot of the typical... I don't want to commit perjury, but I also don't want to hurt the state's case type responses. The notorious, I don't recall testimony. Did you pick two men out of that photo array and say it's between these two? I don't recall. Did you tell Detective Crow that it looks like that guy, but the hair and mustache aren't right? I don't recall. This is a sample of several of Martinez's responses towards the end of cross-examination. I don't recall. If it says it there, I don't recall. I don't recall. I don't recall. Not that I recall. No, not that I recall. I don't know. Well, you get the idea. Pitzel then points out what seems to be the ridiculousness of the fact that Martinez wasn't able to pick Jamie out in person in a well-lit room from 12 feet away, but then nine years later, he's able to ID him from a picture in the paper of Jamie, who's now nine years older, with, quote, hair all over his face. Pitzel ends cross-examination with this exchange. Question. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the picture in the pantograph shows Jamie Snow with hair all over his face, doesn't it? Martinez. What caught my attention were the eyes. Pitzel. The eyes. You still don't know what color those eyes are, do you? Martinez. That's correct. Redirect and recross were relatively uneventful. Personally, I really feel like Pitzel dropped a big ball with the state's star witness. He had him on the ropes with all of his questions about the eye color, the failure to ID Jamie in 91, etc. But he never asked the question that the jury really needed to hear. Two questions, actually. Number one, how could you be only 85% sure it was Jamie a few weeks ago in Susan Claycomb's trial and be 100% sure today? And then question number two, Can you really be certain without any question or doubt that Jamie Snow is the man you saw that night? Based on the way Martinez was answering the questions at the end of Cross, I think that he very well may have shown the jury that he did in fact had some doubt had those questions been asked. But since they weren't, at the end of the day, the jury was left with his assertion that he is 100% certain that he saw Jamie Snow leaving the gas station on the night that Bill was killed. Before I close out today's episode, I want to fill you in on the entire backstory behind the evolution of Martinez's story. A lot of this wasn't discovered until after Jamie's conviction. We know for a fact that Martinez had either seen Jamie himself or pictures of Jamie in front of him on at least five occasions over the years 
and failed to identify him in every instance. On June 21st, 1991, Jamie stood in the lineup. We've discussed that already at length, and the jury did hear that. What the jury didn't know was that a few months later, on November 22nd, 1991, Martinez was shown multiple pictures of Jamie in a photo array. Multiple pictures, not just one. In that array, Martinez identified Charles Renfro for the second time, but said that the hair and the mustache were wrong. He never gave Jamie a second look. Then let's jump to March 4, 1999, before Jamie was arrested. Detective Katz interviewed Martinez and attempted to get an ID from him. In a hearing on a motion to suppress evidence for Susan's trial, Martinez claims that he doesn't recall being shown a picture of Jamie during that interview. But here's a short clip from that conversation. You tell me if you think Kat showed him a picture. Do you know a person by the name of Jamie Snow? Uh, no, I've never met the person, but I've heard the name around town. You've never seen his face uh, that you're aware of? That I'm aware of. I haven't met but you've just heard his name. Right. I've seen, I don't know if uh, Detective Crow had showed me pictures of him or uh, if uh, he was one of the guys in the lineup that I had uh, uh, done. But uh, otherwise, I, as far as my memory... If a person walked in here right now, you would not be able to tell me if that's Jamie Snow or not? No. Okay. So you, prior to this incident happening at the Clark Station, you didn't know a Jamie Snow from Mary Blue? No. So you would never have told any police officer or any detective or anybody if they would have asked you about this person that you saw at the gas station, you wouldn't have said, well, that's, it couldn't have been James Snow because I know James Snow. Mm. That's correct, but with me, I know people by their faces, but not by their name. Okay. Did you know this face? No, not at all. Do you know this face? No, not at all. This was 16 months before Martinez ID'd Jamie. It sure sounded to me like Katz pulled out a picture at that point. What else could he have been doing when he said, do you know this face? And again, Martinez's response at this point was no, not at all. About seven months after that, Jamie was arrested and that's when Martinez claims to have realized that Jamie was the guy. That's when he saw his arrest picture in the newspaper. So keep that in mind. According to his testimony, by the fall of 2000, Danny Martinez is certain that Jamie Snow is the man who killed Bill Little, or at least the man that he saw at the Clark Station that night, supposedly according to his testimony. But after he saw that photo, 10 months passed by before he actually makes the ID. The jury never got to hear that in April of 2000, months after he supposedly became sure that Jamie was the man from the station, Martinez met with the state's attorney and Detective Dan Katz and didn't make an ID. According to testimony from both Martinez and Detective Katz, Danny was visited by Katz somewhere between four and six times between the time Jamie was arrested and when he made the ID. And it wasn't just Katz that was harassing him. Danny Martinez did absolutely perjure himself at Jamie's trial. No question about it. During recross examination, Pitzel asked Danny if he had ever complained to anyone that Bill's family was calling him, trying to get him to make an ID. Martinez testified under oath that that never happened. 
So let me play for you another clip from that March 1999 interview. And another thing I wanted to say is that I don't know who called Mrs. Little to have her call me. I mean, that was me. I know that her son was involved, and uh, I know Easter's coming around the corner and going through a hard time right now. I mean, you could have returned your phone call towards me and, you know, mentioned something to me. And, 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 I, and I did, and I tried doing that. And I'll have to take responsibility for that. And I'll explain to you a little bit later about what transpired there. So Katz called Bill's mother and had her call Martinez to put pressure on him to ID Jamie. He admitting to doing it on tape. And if at this point you have even the slightest bit of doubt that Martinez's identification of Jamie Snow is complete bogus, let me just add this. A man named Mark Foster was hired by Jamie's defense as an investigator before trial. He had several interactions with Martinez. And he testified that just days prior to Martinez making the ID in Tina Griffin's office, Danny told him that they had arrested the wrong guy. According to Foster, Danny had asked him for that statement to be off the record, and then he got mad when Foster shared the information with the defense. Now, Martinez says this never happened, of course, but think about that timeline. In April of 2000, he's in the state's attorney's office with Tina Griffin and with Dan Katz months after seeing the newspaper, and he doesn't make an ID at that point. After that, he meets with Mark Foster, and that's when Foster says that Martinez told him that they had the wrong guy. And there's a lot more than just that going on. So this is what Foster testified to, that after Jamie was arrested, after Katz had been harassing him for over a year, after Martinez had seen the picture in the paper of Jamie, and after Bill's mom was calling him, Martinez told Foster, what he thought was going to be off the record, that the guy in the paper is not the man that he saw that night and that they had arrested the wrong guy. And then, just days later, Martinez stepped into Tina Griffin's office. She showed him the picture from the newspaper and then the picture of the in-person lineup And after nine years and over a dozen interactions with the police and at least five opportunities to identify Jamie, Danny Martinez finally tells the state's attorney, that's him, isn't it? Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me, with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. 
On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com, or you can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can even follow Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.